Katie King. And this is True True Crime Crime New England. England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back to another episode. We're so glad to have you. Always. Always. How's it going, Katie? You know, it's going. Yep. It's going. You had a good birthday? I did, yeah, it was fun. Fantastic. It was fun. I took a couple days off work to not be there on my birthday. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, it worked out. And I've been good, thanks. Um... (laughs) I've, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's been fucking hot, and if you're a regular listener, you know that I hate that, so <laughs> I've been absolutely miserable. Yeah, I know. My electric bill is going to be so high. <sighs> the AC is on the lowest setting 24 hours a day. <laughs> I'm dead serious. And all your reptiles. Yeah. So like one the room heat is, lamps. Yeah. One room is 64. The other is 85, and I hate it. Whatever. Oh, I know. I'm Personally, I'm counting down the days till Halloween. Of course. Just because that's my whole thing, but... Right. right. It's okay. But I'm looking just for the positives in life, you know? You know, that's, that's not a bad way to live. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to do, but I'm mm-hmm. finding that uh, there are some great things in this world. Um, I'm going to give you guys an example of something positive. Well, it starts with a negative, but it ends with the positive. So we had someone write in and share a story with us about somebody named Nick Clark. Um, very recently, Nick passed away after retrieving a struggling swimmer out of a lake in Sunapee, New Hampshire. Um, according to this anonymous writer, Nick lived his whole life to serve and help other people and it seemed like it was a real goal of his to just put others first and be that kind of shining light um this person then said that they wanted to match our donation to beyond the rainbow fund in honor of nick clark um i think that's so wonderful that means so much to you and i Mm -hmm. um and i think in honor of nick that's such a beautiful thing because he did something very selfless, mm-hmm. very brave, and he lost his life because of it. And that's a sacrifice that's really hard to deal with, but he did such an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a wonderful way to remember him and honor him. So we're very honored and excited that you, anonymous listener, also wanted to share the love to um, the Beyond the Rainbow Fund because it is a wonderful organization. I think that's so incredible to do in memory of someone. Yeah. I That's amazing. Right? We have, I think, maybe two or three more episodes or so. We're getting, we're getting there. We're getting close. To the end of our swear jar batch. Yes. So, you know, we'll keep you guys updated as we do, but anonymous listener especially, thank you so much and thank you for reminding us that there are in fact good people out there Mm -hmm. sometimes these days it doesn't really seem like maybe that's a thing so for sure nick clark we're honored to be sharing uh, a donation with you and thank you listener for sending that into us we really appreciate it yeah 
Thank you guys, too. Um, we have some Bias of Coffees. Oh, yes. That's always such a nice little treat. Oh, my God. <laughs> that makes so my whole day. It's so sweet. Um, we had someone buy us each a coffee, and when I say someone, I mean that's the name that they put. Great. Um, they put someone as their name. I love that. Me, too. Um, I'm assuming they also wanted to be left anonymous. Totally okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we're thankful for you, and we appreciate you so much, someone. Yeah, and they left a very nice little note. Yeah. A lot of them do. A lot of people are leaving really nice notes. I know. It's so sweet. And we also had someone um, named, they gave their initials, I'm assuming, JSP. And they also, aside from buying us each a coffee, they wrote in and left us a bunch of cases. Yes. We added those to our master list to hopefully cover sooner rather than later. Yes. Um, I'll be honest, our master list of cases, I think we're about to hit 450. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) It's long. So it's long, um, but, you know, keep sending us cases because I feel like we'll get there eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, JSP, that was a really exciting double whammy. Yeah, (laughs) Thank you so much. Some very sweet words, too. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So just a little housekeeping as our intro because the case we have today... I feel like it's going to be a longer one. I feel as though you are correct. It's a pretty intense one. Yeah. Um, content warning for sure. Definitely. Very violent against women, especially sex workers. Yes. This is one that I actually, it took me several days to do the research because I kept having to leave it. Yeah. Because it was a lot. And I'm not usually affected by true crime, obviously, like at a deeper level. So the fact that this one was like, okay no more tonight is intense Mm -hmm. but it's very morbidly fascinating as well yeah this case was actually suggested to us by a listener um matt sent us an instagram dm suggesting this one and i believe a couple more great but this is one that stood out to us um we saw the name on our master list did some research and we're like yeah we're doing an episode on this yeah it was kind of hard to uh, pass up for sure so thank you matt mm-hmm. we appreciate it so much and uh again like katie said guys this one is tough skip it if you need to mm-hmm. understand you know we have a um skip rule if you're uncomfortable goodbye See you later. Yeah, see you next Thursday. Toodles. Honestly, and you know what? I have a feeling this episode is going to be very heavy Mm -hmm. with the fucks. Yeah, yeah. So uh, speaking of swear jar, we might be raking in some cash money for that. Just a little. And without further ado, today we will be covering Jeffrey Jeffrey Mailhot. fashion would you mind giving your sources it would be my greatest pleasure and honor wow i don't have wikipedia but i do have murderpedia great a ton from them yeah as well as oxygen ap news rhode island monthly and the rhode islander awesome i of course had murderpedia ri monthly sue i had ap news and i also had something called Predator Hunters Blogspot. Okay. So it's like a, it was a personal blog, I guess. Cool, cool. And they covered this case. 
So thanks to them. That was some good info. Katie, why don't you start us off? Cool. Let's establish a little bit of a timeline here. Do it. We're going to go back to early 2003. Okay. I'm there. in Rhode Island. Great. We've been there before. We have. It seems like women are being terrorized left, right, and center. Okay. 33-year-old Audrey Harris was reported missing by her mother on February 9th, 2003. She was supposed to visit her mom, but she wasn't heard from, and her mom got worried. Um, Audrey was also working as a sex worker at the time. Okay. Less than a month later, on March 2nd, 2003, a woman named Jane Smith was beaten and stabbed after she agreed, quote, to party with a man who approached her in his car. She was able to survive the attack, but there wasn't a whole lot of evidence at the crime scene to figure out who this attacker was. Shortly after Jane was attacked, another woman, 42-year-old Christine Dumont, was violently beaten with a metal pipe. Hmm. She was attacked in the same area that Jane was approached and stabbed, and both women somehow miraculously survived and got away. Right. And they were able to describe this man to police as being short and blonde with a very stocky build. Okay. He was short, but he was muscular and strong. Okay. Christine's attacker had withdrawn $100 from an ATM before he attacked her, and the security footage from the ATM let police identify the man as Timothy Scanlon. Hmm. Jane and Christine both identified Timothy from photos as well. Interesting. Timothy was apprehended, and he told police that he got with Jane Smith and Christine Dumont in a consensual manner, and they must have been assaulted after the fact. Hmm. Isn't, isn't that That's coincidental? Insane, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I had my way with them, and it was all consensual. You know, I paid them for their sex work. And then after I get them out of my car, they must have both been coincidentally attacked Huh. In the same place. Wow, isn't that crazy? That is very bizarre. <laughs> right. So clearly they're like, okay, yeah, okay, Timothy. Right. Like, let's sure. be real. On April 23rd, 2004, Christine Dumont goes missing. Oh, the one who was hit with the pipe? Yes. Interesting. And now police are scratching their heads because it's not Timothy, because they have Timothy in custody. Right. So what the fuck? Yeah, that's... <laughs> what? Christine had also been looking forward to testifying against her attacker. Right. She was fully cooperating with police. She was ready to take the stand and get this guy. All right. So her disappearance is immediately suspicious. Right. She's a star witness, and Timothy had nothing to do with it. So yeah. what is going on? Uh-oh. Then on July 4th, 2004, 24-year-old Stacy Goulet was reported missing by her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. He told police that she was a sex worker. He kind of begrudgingly admitted that. Yeah. Um, he didn't want to give it up at first, thinking it would make them treat her case as less than. Which is a perfectly fair fear to have. 100%. We've seen it time and time again. And we never, it'll never stop being seen that way. <laughs> Stacy was last seen at a fireworks display in City Park. On July 11th, Woonsocket police get an anonymous tip. Let me tell you about that anonymous tip. Please do. Because it shed a fuck ton of light yeah. on all of this. So this anonymous tip came from someone 
who said that they had someone that they knew that probably had some information about the three women that had gone missing. The woman who had the information, supposedly, was Jocelyn Martell. She was 27 years old, and at the time of her being interviewed for this anonymous tip, she was serving a 10-month sentence for a probation violation related to a drug charge. So Jocelyn started to tell a story about something that happened to her within the last year. Um, She describes a John who came to her and asked for sex for money. That was her job. She described him as a white male with short hair and he was in his late 20s to early 30s. Of course, because this was her job, it didn't faze her. She said, okay, whatever, like I'll be with this John. The man brought Jocelyn back to his apartment, which is at 221 Cato Street in Woonsocket. Now, Jocelyn remembers that they walked inside and the apartment was super clean, nearly spotless. Everything was neatly organized, lined up really well, like color coordinated, height sorted, like very OCD, Mm -hmm. very type A, neat. Almost immediately after they walked into the apartment, Jocelyn asked about whether they wanted to hang out in the living room or his bedroom. And she, at this point, turned away from him to kind of look around. And this is when he lunged at her and put her in a chokehold from behind. So she could feel his grip tightening. She couldn't breathe. And so she truly began to fight for her life. Her instincts were insane. She was a total badass. Oh, she was incredible. Amazing. Basically, what she did was she quickly butted him with her head. So she smashed the back of her head against his face, essentially. And he stumbled back because, you know, he was probably pretty surprised, if not hurt. Um, She jabbed him in one of his eyes with her thumb. And that's when she realized, okay, he's kind of incapacitated. Mm -hmm. So she ran out the door. Like, what an amazing badass bitch. Talk about fight or flight. Absolutely. Oh my god. Absolutely. Um, She tells the police at this point that he wasn't really trying to get up and, like, go after her. Yeah. So she just ran, and she ran, and she ran, and she did not turn around. And, um, obviously, because she's a sex worker, she was worried about going to police, so Mm -hmm. she did not go to police. But ultimately, she lived. Like, she was safe. So when police were talking to Jocelyn, they were like, wow, this is really awful. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. They asked her about like where this building was, Mm -hmm. like who it was. And she brought them or pointed them in the right direction. And from there, the police gathered like utility bills and like, you know, the location of the apartment and like all this stuff. And they um, basically found a suspect and they showed Jocelyn a picture and they said, is this the guy? And she was like, holy shit, yes. And what they discovered was that there were two other complaints filed about the same man. One woman remained anonymous, Mm -hmm. and the other signed her confession and did talk to the police. Her name was Tease Morris, and in February of 2004, she was at a bar to celebrate her birthday. She was also a sex worker. She says that while she was there, a quote, everyday man paid for a drink and they got talking he offered money for sex and so they went back to his apartment on 
221 Cato Street. Sounds familiar? Mm. Uh, when they got to the apartment, Tease asked for a napkin, and when he pointed her in a direction, her back became turned to him, mm. and suddenly he placed her in a chokehold from behind and started to choke her. Um, she could feel his grip getting tighter and tighter. She couldn't breathe. So she realized that he was intending to kill her, and then she instinctively bent herself all the way back, ended up pushing him so far backwards that he smashed kind of bent backwards over the stove. So he was super uncomfortable and, you know, like incapacitated. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, was able to breathe at this point, but he still had her. And she was begging and she screamed, please, my daughter, I have a daughter, I have to see my daughter. And suddenly his whole demeanor kind of changed. He dragged her to the door and said, if I ever see you outside again, I'll kill you. I will kill you. And then he pushed her outside and she ran off. Yeah. Talk about the survival instincts of these women. Right? Holy shit. I mean, it's very interesting how all of a sudden she mentions her daughter. Right. And suddenly he's like, fuck, I can't kill her. She has a child. You know? And... That's a great, I don't want to, excuse is not the right word, but a great tactic mm-hmm. to use. Because some, if you find yourself in that situation, some serial killers or whatever will be more, like, have more pause. If you say, I have children or I'm pregnant. Right. Even if you're not. <laughs> you know, like, people like me, I could say that and, you know, like, you can be three months pregnant and not show. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. Just lie and say you're pregnant. Unless you're male presenting, then maybe they won't believe you. <laughs> but, um, like, you know, that's a good strategy. I know. Wow. I know. And these two women, they got away. They fought back. Yeah. So the police gathered all this information. They talked to the women with the complaints, Jocelyn and Tease. They had Tease identify him based on the same picture they showed Jocelyn. And this led to police positively identifying 33-year-old Jeffrey Mailhot. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Jeffrey Mailhot. He grew up in Rhode Island. He was, you know, a graduate of Woonsocket High School. He was described as a kid who kept to himself, very quiet, unassuming when he grew up. He apparently had a sad life. His parents divorced when he was nine. His mom died of lung cancer when he was 17, and then his dad died of lung cancer five years later. Wow. So very young, he didn't have any parents. Like, Mm -hmm. he was, you know. um, But in his adulthood, he became less quiet and broke out of his shell a little more. He was actually known to ride a Harley Davidson, wear a leather jacket, and even was known for uh, bodybuilding and going to karaoke night at some local bars. So he had kind of branched out of that awkward, quiet Mm -hmm. phase. Um, There was this woman who talked about, you know, she was in a relationship with Jeffrey Pryor. And she said, you know, that there were many great moments and they had a good relationship. But when she revealed her feelings to him, like, I think I'm in love with you, I'm falling for you. um, He replied, I'm sorry, I can never be in love with anyone. I will always be alone. Isn't that sad? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like... Holy. Yeah, like... I don't know. 
that is, that's really sad to me. Yeah. But I, I also am waving a little bit of a red flag. Yeah, because I feel like that's something someone would say if they're craving pity or yeah. empathy or maybe they just want to hear more things about themselves about how much you love them and will fight I, and yep. you know I get those vibes too like or the people that are like huh I have no friends and they'll like look at you <laughs> yeah like, oh. uh, yeah <laughs> or they'll say like oh man you say you love me but do you really and it's like a very like contradictory not believing you. I'm unlovable. You. Yeah, it's one of those like, no, but I love you. It's like that's yes. what they want to hear. Yes, like they're feeding you a line, and they want to reel you in yep. with compliments, and they want to be showered in love and affection. And oh no, but you will find love one day, and that lo- like yeah, no, <laughs> you're so worth it, Jeffrey. <laughs> I think you're wonderful. But see, the other thing is that she was saying that in the bedroom he enjoyed choking which is not a weird thing to like in the bedroom however she says that when he did choke her during sex he looked quote psychotic hmm mm-hmm. she never she said she never forgot that yeah and that's how it that's that's how we escalate yeah yeah oh wow so she was like okay so you told me you're never going to love anyone and that you'll always be alone in bed, you choke me, like, pretty hard, and you like it more than I do. Okay. Right, and you get this crazed look about you. Yeah. <laughs> and also, he was 5'3". I just think that's important to mention. Just because, I don't know, sad? I don't know. But it also does put into perspective, like, how he maybe was able to choke these women so easily mm-hmm. from behind, because he was probably a similar height. Yeah. Realistically. Oh my god, and if he was a bodybuilder too. Oh god. Mm-hmm. Oh man. And you know, nothing against height. Like, no. that's whatever. I was being a jerk. I was. No, 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 yeah. no. But that's that's a, an important factor. That's a fact about yeah. him. And it's. I don't know. It. You kind of got the, the short man syndrome into play, maybe. And Very angry. Yeah. Short man. Short tempered. <laughs> <laughs> but also, too, I wonder if. That was how he was able to get women to go back to his apartment with him so easily. Like, of course they're sex workers, and of course they're, right. you know, they, they gotta make a living, and he's sure. offering to pay them. But I wonder, too, if these women are looking at him like, okay, like, yeah, he's fit, he works out, but he's also 5'3", so it's not like a scary, me. hulking, 6'5 guy that towers over me. That's a good point. Like, okay, yeah, he seems nice enough. And sure. He's, he's and he not, was very pleasant. Very pleasant, very polite, and it's not like he's... You know, it's not like you're looking up at him and you're like, oh, you know, like this guy's huge. Yeah. Like, he yeah. could he could really hurt me. Like, this right. guy's 5'3", so I wonder if they felt maybe a little safer going back to his place alone with him. I bet you probably aren't too far off. So, and you know, again, sometimes that's how they make money, mm-hmm. these women. So, you know, if it's a client, it's a client and I, you know, no fault to them for getting paid to do their job and then going to do the job and of course right. it's not their fault that he was a psychopath. Right. And a lot of women too in this situation, they feel happy because they're like, oh, you know, he's attractive. Yeah. He's nice. Yeah. He's not a jerk. He's not an asshole. Right. And he's kind of cute. Yeah. Oh, he, he wasn't short. an ugly, he wasn't yeah. ugly. You know, he looked just like an average dude. 
So I I can understand that and being, you know, just fucking sucks. It really sucks. A search warrant was obtained, and on July 16th, 2004, Jeffrey comes home from work. Oh, worky poo. <laughs> and finds the cops waiting for him. Oh. He's trying to play it cool. Authorities searched the home, and they found everything just like Jocelyn said. Oh. Extremely neat. Yes. Precisely so. Like, type A with a capital A. Mm. Everything is neat. Everything's clean. Meticulous. Mm-hmm. Except for the bathroom. So fucking weird. The bathroom, especially the tub, mm. which they described as being absolutely filthy, ew, had blood splatter on it. Oh, shit. So they're like, oh, shit. They're like, all right, Jeff, sit down. We're going to have a little chat. Oh, boy. Jeffrey initially, you know, what they all do, oh, I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. He then admitted to police that he had used sex workers in the past occasionally. Sure. No that big he deal. maybe did get rough with a few of them. He did admit to, quote, getting rough with Jocelyn Martell. Okay. Detectives then put pictures of Audrey Harris, Christine Dumont, and Stacey Goulet, the three missing women, on mm. the table. And then Jeffrey looks at the photos and tells police. Oh, I know you think I killed those girls, but I didn't. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, what? Yeah. Two cops are there. They look at him, look at each other, look back at him, and they go, we said nothing about them being killed. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> then the floodgates open. Yep. Jeffrey stated, I just want to be totally honest. I don't want to hide anymore. I don't want this shit inside me anymore. I want to do what I have to do to help the situation any way I can, and I want that to be my last act. I'm not expecting forgiveness. And then he just tells police everything. Everything. (laughs) What a piece of shit. He admitted to coming up behind Audrey and choking her, just like he did to Jocelyn. He also told police that when he released her from the chokehold, he finished the job by holding a pillow over her face to make sure that she was dead. And you know what sucks is that, well, it all sucks, but he says that as soon as they walked into the apartment, he couldn't even control himself. He immediately yeah. choked her. And, you know, when she was unconscious mm-hmm. but still breathing, pillow over the face, suffocation. Yeah. Like, the door was swinging shut. It wasn't yeah. even shut yet. It was swinging shut. Yeah. And he, yeah. <laughs> he put Audrey's body in a cheap rug and then he placed it in his car and he drove around town to try to find somewhere to dump it but then he chickened out he lost his nerve and he came home (laughs) so weird and it was so weird because you know after he killed Audrey and before he brought her in the truck he ended up bringing her like to the bathtub putting her there and then falling asleep and so when he woke up he was like Oh, good morning. And the birds were chirping and he was like, oh man, I gotta, whoo, I gotta pee. He goes in the bathroom and he's like, brushing my teeth. What the fuck? And there, <laughs> of course, that's all edit- editorialized. But he said, he claims that he completely forgot. Mm-hmm. He goes in his bathroom in the morning and there's her corpse in his bathtub. Right? Right. How much do I believe that? <laughs> Not at all. 
Do I think he really went to bed and his brain was like, okay, Jeffrey, just go to bed. Relax, man. You've had a day. And even if he was drinking, he would not have been inebriated enough because he killed a woman. Like, he's still, he's with it. Like, he couldn't control his urges to not kill her. Yeah. Like, he, he's not blackout drunk at this point. Like, that, no. that's all, that's all fucking yeah, he's... fake. Audrey's body was in the bathtub in his apartment for two days. Oh, man. He's using aerosol spray to mask the smell. He's sitting there. He's kind of pacing his apartment. Oh, you know, what do I do? I can't just dump her. I chickened out on that. He, uh... He's waiting around. He's trying to figure out what to do with uh, her body. Mm. He's watching TV. Taking a little time to relax, you know? He's got a lot of stress going on in his life. An episode of The Sopranos comes on. Classic. And, you know, he's watching TV, and he's still in the back of his mind trying to figure out, what am I going to do with this body? In this particular episode of The Sopranos, Tony Soprano is trying to figure out what to do with his rival's body. Interesting. Tony decides he's going to put his rival's body in the bathtub. Okay. And cut it up into pieces. Oh. And dispose of the pieces. Okay. Jeffrey has a light bulb moment. Goes out to the store. Gets a, gets a little saw. His own little saw. And uh, starts... Hacking Audrey's body into pieces. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Disposes of her body parts in trash bags and then in dumpsters around town. That's awful. He doesn't stop there. No. 14 months later, in April of 2004, our boy Jeffy picks up his second victim, 42-year-old sex worker... Christine Dumont, mm-hmm. the very same woman who was attacked in the beginning of this episode with the metal pipe. Yeah, this is her. Um, basically, he followed the exact same routine, so to speak, that he did with Audrey. So he offered to pay for sex. She agreed. He brought her back to his apartment. And then, like, literally as soon as she turned around, arm around her neck, mm-hmm. choking her to death. Of course, you know what's interesting is that he had thrown away the saw that he used to dismember Audrey. So he went and he took a little boy's trip to Lowe's or whatever, and he got another saw. And he cut up Christine's body in the bathtub. Same idea as Audrey. Put her body parts in different trash bags and then went around wound socket and disposed of these trash bags in different dumpsters. Mm Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, but that was a fair method because it worked. Yeah. You know, he was not caught for those murders. So, it had been 14 months. He had two victims at this point. He had purchased two saws. Mm -hmm. He was completely, totally unhinged. Yeah. And it seemed like he was escalating a little bit. His pace was quickening. It was getting faster and more impulsive. So, of course, you know, it doesn't stop there. Mm-hmm. And I wish I wish it did. I wish it stopped before it started. But it, 
there's still one more murder that he commits. And this one was less than three months after Christine. Which is interesting because first there's a 14-month difference. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly there's just barely two and a half. Right. Very unhinged. Granted, he did attack Jocelyn and Tease in that time. And they got away. So I wonder if, because they both escaped. And I mean, he told Tease, like, go. I don't want to see. Like, he basically let her go. Right. Like, go away. So I wonder if maybe that unnerved him enough where he was like, okay, like, I got to slow my roll. Right. But then, you know, he he murdered Christine, hacked her with a saw. Ugh. So awful. I, I, like, I, the word, ha- oh my God. I know. I know. And then he told police as he's, he's telling police all of this. Like, the yeah. floodgates open. He told police he had an uncontrollable urge to kill again. Okay. So now it's like an urge. Mm-hmm. So he's... He's moving here. Yeah. So he grabs Stacy, who we should say was pregnant. That is the worst part. Yeah. She was pregnant. And she also had two young children at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awful. Yes. The thing about Stacy's murder, you know, same method, of course. Um, he's not switching up the method. But thanks to the anonymous tip that told police, go talk to Jocelyn Martell. And Jocelyn's like, yeah, basically single-handedly pointed them in this guy's direction. Yeah. Police were able to get a search warrant within five days of that anonymous tip call. Amazing. And Stacy was murdered on, or she was last seen on the 4th, July 4th. Right. And they show up at his house on the 16th. So now they're thinking, okay, if this is his method... He's cutting women up and dumping their bodies in different dumpsters. Mm -hmm. We have to go to the landfill and see if we can find something. Anything. Right. And they're thinking, you know, maybe this is recent enough where the dumpsters would have been emptied and Stacy's remains would be kind of closer to the top of the land. It's awful. It's awful to say, but it's a good point. Mm -hmm. You know, the timeline worked out just enough where they were like, we might have a chance. Right. We're going to have to be digging on our hands and knees through this trash, but we might have something. And I give them my full props. This is rare. Yes. The landfill was the size of a football field. Yeah. Over 30 police officers spread out and searched the whole thing over the course of 10 days. And we should probably point out that it's the middle of July. That hot. Yeah. Even in New England, that hot. Yes. Yes. Um, They said the search was atrocious. I'm sure. You're wading through compacted garbage. Ugh. But they got right to work. They didn't hesitate. They're like, okay, spread out. Mm -hmm. We're doing this. Yeah. And they found Stacy's remains on July 27th, over three weeks after she had been murdered. That's amazing. And finding her remains were particularly upsetting because, of course, the heat is not helping with decomposition, number one. And number two, like you said, Liz, she was pregnant. Right. So finding her remains scattered across the landfill in trash bags was extremely upsetting because, you know, she was pregnant. That's just awful. Mm -hmm. And the worst part to me is that 
despite all this looking and searching, too much time had passed and they never to this day have found mm-hmm. Audrey or Christine's remains. Never. It was, they're long gone. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, in February of 2006, our boy Jeffrey was put on trial. Mm-hmm. But was it even really a trial? What did they have to try and prove? He confessed, he killed these women, he's a piece of garbage, etc. His bathroom is oh. painted in blood splatter. I mean, DNA, hello, comes back. Oh, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Okay, Audrey, Christine, Stacy, hello. Yeah. And what's nuts is that the police went through his entire bathroom and they took they took his bathtub, his sink, and his toilet out of the apartment for evidence. His bathtub had saw marks on it. Mm-hmm. And they also found, like, they used luminol, which is that spray that you spray and then you turn on, like, a black light and it lights up. They said it was everywhere. Wow. On the toilet, on the tub, on the walls, in the grout, underneath the sink, like, everywhere. So, you know, they had so much evidence at that point. So, like I said, his trial started in February of 2006. He pled guilty to the three murders, the dismemberment, and discarding their remains. He was also given three life sentences for the first-degree murder charges, as well as two 10-year sentences for the unrelated assault charges. During his sentencing, Jocelyn Martell gave a very short, direct statement to Jeffrey, and it... God, I love her. God, I love her. She said, Mr. Melhot, I hope you get all you deserve today because a lifetime of suffering is never enough. Which I was like, yes! She is the hero of this whole case, this investigation. They would not have found this guy if not for her. No. No, absolutely not. She's incredible. Yes. Madeline DeRochers, who was Christine Dumont's sister, Mm -hmm. said that her sister was a fighter and she remembered her as just a survivor. She survived being hit by a train. Holy shit. She survived the assault with the lead pipe where she was left for dead. Right. And Madeline addressed Jeffrey directly at trial and she stated, you made sure she'll never fight again. As for you, I believe God will take care of you till your judgment day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Another thing that happened during the trial is that Stacy Goulet's dad brought a picture of one of Stacy's children, oh. a little granddaughter, and showed it to Jeffrey, and he started bawling. Pussy. The picture of him bawling will be on our Instagram and website. Yeah. As well as photos of the victims, obviously. But right. Yeah, I thought that photo of him crying like the little pussy-ass bitch he is is very <laughs> fitting. Yeah. Sorry, did you say um, pussy-ass bitch? Okay, we covered that. <laughs> okay, yeah, and he's a motherfucker. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Got it. Sana's... Spawn of Satan. Did we say that? That works. Okay, we'll good. add that. <laughs> Gremlin. Gremlin. Demon? Spawn? Great. The only thing I have tr- trouble with with this trial is that somehow Jeffrey is eligible for parole in 2046. That doesn't mean he's going to get it. It just means that he qualifies for it. Hmm. Which is like... Uh, Fuck? <laughs> what? Who? Uh, okay. <laughs> and he'll be 77 at that point, which, yes, is old, but also, like, you can live after that. You know, like, 77. 
Right, and you're not automatically, like, decrepit. Right, right. Like, if he's a bodybuilder, he's probably going to keep that up in prison. He's going to come out as a jacked 70s. (laughs) But that's, of course, to say he definitely will not be granted parole. This is very true. There's there's no way in hell. No way. In a later interview, when Jocelyn was asked why she helped police, because, you know, she had been kind of living a life of crime, I will say. Um, She was not a huge fan of police. Can't blame her there. She had a general distrust of police, of course, because she's constantly being on the lookout for them. So she stated, the reason I went out of my way is because if the shoe was on the other foot, I'm sure the girls would have done the same for me. Even though we all had drug problems, we all had families and moms that loved us. I felt I had an obligation because I got away like I had reason. God did what he did for a reason. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And that's the horrifying case of Jeffrey Malhot. Yeah. The absolute definition of the most disgusting, vile piece of trash that has ever walked this earth. And, like, his behavior in the interrogation, police said he was bawling like a baby. So sad, boo-hoo. Cry, cry, cry. Right, like, yeah, go cry about it. You killed three women and attacked two that we know of. Right. Right. There's probably more. And you used an episode of The Sopranos as inspiration for how to get rid of the body sitting in your bathroom for two days? So ridiculous. Go fuck yourself. Honestly. Oh, I can't. I hate him. I'm so glad he's rotten in prison. As he should. As he should, Queen. (laughs) Well, yeah, guys, please tell us what you think about this awful, terrible case. In fact, I could probably guess what you could say, that it was maybe awful and terrible. (laughs) But still, you can hit us up on our social media, which we have Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at truecrimene. All lowercase. And you can even send us an email at truecrimene at gmail.com. You could also find us on our website, truecrimene.com. We have a handy dandy submission tool where you can leave your name if you so choose. You can be anonymous if you so choose. But either way, we would love to hear from you. You could send us your thoughts about this case, other cases we've covered, cases you'd like for us to cover. Questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, compliments, prayers, prayers, if you're into that. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, we would love to hear from you. And you can also find us on Spotify. Give us a star review or you can hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Give us a star review and a written review and we would be so appreciative. But yeah, thanks you guys. And uh, with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.